hello there. Come in, come in. You must be here for the bull session. The big man at the paperback cabaret has a soft spot for would-be philosophers and books. Once a week, he lets us use a back corner for a little chat in between rehearsals and performances, of course. Man's gotta make his money, you know. Head on back, doll. The gals are waiting for you. I'm excited we are all together today. Paperback Cabaret. I'm Tracy. I'm, I'm Mary. Oh, oh, sorry. We said that at the same oh. time. <laughs> hey, we were just so excited. It's true. Okay. I'm Laurel. I'm Mary. And we are covering the second half of our book, Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger. I, okay. <laughs> I don't even really know where to start with this. Like, Mary, you were saying before we started recording, like, how you've got this, like, dog-eared and bookmarked and highlighted, and I am right there with you. Yeah. Yeah, there were sections of the book where I was just like, can I highlight an entire page? Like, Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I want this, all of this, like, and more of this. It's just, like, everywhere, you know? I started doing this thing. Yes. Um, where I like, I'll do like a little bracket around like a whole paragraph, mm -hmm. so that I don't have to like highlight yep. every single line. But I'm just like, this is important. <laughs> so that's exactly how I do it. My my <laughs> highlighter that I've had since college ran out of ink while reading this book. <laughs> so R.I.P. to a real one. I was like shaking it, like not now. Come on, I need you. But. That's amazing. I switched to gel pens, um, so. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. I love things that are color-coded. Yeah. That makes my heart happy. So I think my favorite thing about getting into the third section of the book, what is the third section called? Let's see here. I can't remember. It is called Season it. of the Witch. Season of the Witch. I'm loving this. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I could not help but love that she kicks the section off with the Women's March on Versailles. Yes. On October 5th, 1789. Mm -hmm. My ladies. I was so excited about that because we really like, oh man, the underestimation of what women will do when they are pissed off mm. is, is one that just needs to be thrown out the window. They gathered by the thousands. They grabbed cannons. They ransacked Versailles. They scared the shit out of Marie Antoinette. Like, yeah. Woof. They were mad. Yeah. They were mad. Yeah. And I loved it. I was like, yes. And it's exciting, too, because we're going to be reading a historical fiction about the French Revolution on our next book. Ooh. And I'm like, I know. I'm excited. I felt like this book was a perfect, like, precursor to read, like, mm -hmm. you know, because the French Revolution, unfortunately, can be applied a lot to today. So it's, like, thinking about the ways that things have changed, but in some rights, not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot. So I think it gives us a really interesting framework to look through the ways that women's mm -hmm. rage has been seen throughout history. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, this was like my favorite topic in school, mm. like, uh, so I'm just like, <laughs> I'm really it's excited. It's your bread and butter. Yeah. yeah. Like, 
I thought that I, when, I, I, I thought that, that when I started reading it, I was just like, ah, Tracy's bread and butter right here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I thought of you too. I was like, ooh. I Yeah. Um in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In June of twenty nineteen I went to Versailles. That shit is crazy. Ooh. Like Yeah. Like I knew a little bit about it, but like it's like another world like that shit made me want to march like if I was a, a French person <laughs> I would have been pissed too like mm-hmm. oh right yeah yeah it is definitely a solid example of abuse of power <sighs> yeah obviously gorgeous and extra but just extravagance like no other yeah, yeah. unnecessary unnecessary Louis the 14th yeah king. yeah bitch Get the hell out of here. No, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's okay. He he died a really unglamorous death. So karma karma comes back and bites you in the ass. So it's fine. That's that's slightly therapeutic to know. You know, just just the tiniest yeah. bit. But she like she moves into discussing Harvey Weinstein and I I'm gonna like just flat out admit that like when all of this stuff was unfolding, like I caught little bits and pieces of it, mm. but I was definitely like just so hyper focused on every little thing that Trump was doing mm-hmm. at that time that I didn't really catch a lot of the Me Too movement, which she covers extensively, yeah. I would say, in particular in these last two sections mm-hmm. of the book. Mm. Um and it's only been like recently that I've been kind of digging into knowing more about what people like Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein and countless other men have been able to get away with. Mm. It's traumatizing just to read it, read it. And I mean, I was, let's see here, 96. Mm. I graduated from high school. I think I was like 17, 18 yeah. in 96. Yeah. So I absolutely grew up in this culture where it was kind of assumed that when a woman went to bed with a man in this context, like the Weinstein context in particular, it was her choice right, to take advantage of her sexuality and use it to gain positions of power. Mm. And there were so many moments in this this writing where I was like, I'm one of those women mm. that like needed to be woken up. Mm. Like, I appreciate so much of this and what it's helped me to kind of like open up and see. And getting to talk with both of you is really helpful too because you are younger, you have experienced things in a different way than I have. What did you two think like for the Weinstein reveals, the Me Too moments as they are happening. How did that feel for you? It's interesting. So um, Tarana Burke at like, I, I want to remember what year it was. It's got to be 2018, in November of 2018, I think. Uh, she came mm-hmm. to Purdue and I saw her speak. And um, that's cool. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's like being in the same room with Beyonce. She is, <laughs> oh, my gosh. She is the Beyonce of her field. Like amazing um you should you should message her and tell her that i wonder if anybody's like oh she knows oh she uh, oh she knows i hope she knows she knows yeah okay good i Uh, love that 
Yeah, but okay. So with Harvey Weinstein, I think it makes me sad how fucked up it had to get for anyone to notice. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like his his abuse wasn't just sexual. I like that she talked about that in the book that he was like a tyrant mm-hmm. and that he was abusive to like lots of different people yeah. and domineering and he like mm-hmm. had his claws in everything like politically yeah. financially um the people that he blacklisted i think it was all really overwhelming to see how bad it had to get for this this movement to start which the movement mm-hmm. didn't start with harvey weinstein like toronto Burke was doing this work she's been doing mm-hmm. this work forever but what i think is really interesting about it is she created this movement for black women, for black women and black Mm -hmm. girls who've been victims of sexual violence. And then it was Mm -hmm. kind of turned into this movement for affluent white women. And it was Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. quickly reclaimed by black women who were like, uh, no, no, no. Cause it was, it was (laughs) attributed to Alyssa Milano. Alyssa Milano was someone who like was talking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that he actually faced some, repercussions but also I think Mm -hmm. part of why he actually I don't know had consequences to his actions was because his his victims were not only women and they were so many you couldn't deny them right right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah he's a horrible shitbag of a person and I hope he dies in prison a painful slow death that those are my thoughts on Harvey Weinstein fair fuck him I feel like I was kind of in a similar position as you Tracy like when this was all happening um it's it almost makes me feel kind of like bad because at the time I wasn't as aware of it as I should have been um just because Mm -hmm. I I don't know I don't know I don't have an excuse for that but I just feel like I wasn't as aware that what was going on at the time and so reading it now it's Mm -hmm. like I've heard the name I've heard the accusations you know things like that but I hadn't ever like dove into it at uh, a deeper length to understand. And so this book was, uh, or this section of the book was not only like an eye opener for the abuses, but also made me very angry, made me very just heartbroken at the same time. But like you had said before about how like you had been under the impression that it was like these women's choice to do this um Mm -hmm. I think that that's exactly what they wanted you to think not the women but I think that that's exactly the point was that people you know these men who were inflicting these these incidences of abuse and and sexual misconduct Mm -hmm. things like that it's like the reason why we didn't hear or not hear but like the reason that the movement you know, didn't take off until so many women came forward is because they they wanted to perpetuate that idea that it was like, well, it was the women's choices Mm -hmm. until so many women came forward Mm -hmm. and were like, absolutely not. Like, that's not how this went whatsoever. So I think that that mentality is important to point out that like they were victims, but then they were also being like, what's the term I'm looking for? Being made to like make it seem like it was their choice. Well, well, that's mm-hmm. that's what she talks about is this whole idea of like, oh, that's Harvey being Harvey. That's Charlie being mm-hmm. Charlie. There is this idea that that's just the way that it is. Right. And mm-hmm. if you want to participate 
in Hollywood, you're going to have to go through something like this if you're a right. woman. Mm-hmm. And by mm-hmm. choosing to mm-hmm. be an actress, you're subjugating yourself to sexual abuse. Right. Or like... Like if you choose to go through this, you already know what what to expect. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's your fault for being a woman in Hollywood. So right. you you know what you're signing up for. And it really... It shows a serious lack of knowledge around sexual violence and what it's like to be controlled and I don't know what it's what it's like to be conditioned your whole life to be praised for being quiet, for being submissive, for being, you know, all these things that we assign to hyper feminine women. And then mm-hmm. in a moment where, you know, a person in a position of power takes advantage of you than to look at you and be like, that's your fault because you should have been assertive when your whole life, that's the worst thing you could be, right? Mm -hmm. That's the thing that will make you unlovable, a bitch, a brat, annoying, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. fired from a job. Like it's, it's complicated and yeah, it's, it's just the double-edged sword that women find themselves in of, you know, if you stick up for yourself, then you don't get jobs because you're a bitch. And if you, like, let this happen to you, then it's your job to deal with mm-hmm. the emotional and physical trauma of what you've experienced. Right. So there's there's not a lot of winning. Well, and it also makes it, one of the things that stuck out to me was very clearly showing how white women in particular have held things back from happening because of the benefits that we receive because of our attachments to white patriarchal power. Mm -hmm. Um, And even those of us who would consider ourselves feminist and independent and whatnot, we're still held back by certain things like equal pay, equal access to jobs and whatnot like my husband's ability to earn over my ability to earn we both have bachelor's degrees we both have specializations in anything but as a software developer in the united states he can earn up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year me as a historian to reach that level of pay yeah no yeah it's never gonna happen It's, yeah. It would never happen. Yeah. That would never happen. Like, if you get a master's, you will maybe make 40000 a year. Mm-hmm. So there are these things that, and I mean, that, that of course has to do with field and whatnot, but he also works in, a, in an industry that is overwhelmingly male. Yeah. Like, and that's in the, in the book as well. It's just like these industries that are just totally dominated by men and the interactions that they think are okay yeah and i mean that comes down to socialization too around the ideas of like who's better in technology who's better in like the humanities and Mm -hmm. like those kinds of socializations and then how how and how there's gender differences Mm -hmm. in those areas and how they get compensated for them right it's like yeah it's not fun well, I mean, um, historically speaking, like women in the past were only considered appropriate for certain uh, career fields. You know, mm-hmm. women a mm-hmm. hundred years ago, if they wanted to, you know, have a career, there were three options. They could be a teacher, a nurse or 
you know, a or a nanny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and not yeah, that any yeah. of those professions are. Hundred years ago, factory worker. Yeah. 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 Sorry. But you, but Sorry. you know what I I'm mean. Like, what could we yeah. do? Oh, the glamorous list just goes on. Right. I know. So <laughs> Prostitution. Uh-huh. There's an option for you. Uh-huh. But I mean, we all know that if a hundred years ago, if you wanted to go into a, a science field or whatever, you yeah. would have been turned away. You would have been laughed out the door as a woman. So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was one of the first women allowed in a law classroom. And that was, what, the 40s? Yeah. And her professors, it, I think her professors literally. Didn't at, he make her yep, turn around? He made her sit backwards so that he didn't have to look at her in the face because he was so offended by a female presence in the room. And so it's like that, that like discrepancy that, makes me weep. that we're talking about, you know, between how, how your husband makes, you know more money and in a male-dominated field I mean that's embedded in history that's what we're still unraveling and dealing with today because women in the past were just not seen fit for those professions and even though we've come so Mm -hmm. far today that is still something that's deep-rooted and needs to be you know taken down and 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 rebuilt Mm -hmm. because it's just not accurate but it's like that's why yeah. we mm-hmm. still see male dominated fields is because of that systematic mm-hmm. embedded sexism that has been around for ever. I have a fun anecdote if you ladies would like to hear it. Go. Do it <laughs> always. So I have I have been kind of drawn to what would be considered like more masculine fields like I've worked in the financial services industry in different places and I took a job as a financial rep and at one point one of my managers or whatever was like attempting to give me a pep talk which Mm. already was questionable yeah um I could tell he was struggling to think of how he wanted to talk to me and what he finally landed on was when you go to the hairdresser do you tell them how to do your hair or do you let them tell you how to do your hair? And I was like, well, I'm wearing a ponytail and I haven't had my hair cut in like seven months. So one, I have no idea. I barely do that anyway. Two, what the fuck? Why was that the decision you made to talk to me about my fucking hairdresser? Because obvious. Do you think I go every Tuesday like your fucking grandmother? <laughs> fuck off. Oh my God. I was going to say, what is this? The musical hairspray? Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Because obviously ah! as a woman, the only way for you to understand complex ideas are to relate them to cosmetics. Apparently. Let me right. Let me break it down for you in a way you'll understand. You go to an ice cream store and you want chocolate and <laughs> strawberry, but you can only afford what it's like <laughs> Excuse you. It was just I was like and I I remember like I'm standing there thinking about what I was wearing, mm. the way that I had presented myself since I had started that job, which I was doing really well at. Right at least like as far as I was concerned, but I was definitely having some hesitations around how I was feeling towards the job I was doing. And I think that was kind of like hitting my performance. Mm. 
Um, but part of it was like when we would go to things, they were always like, we want you to find clients that are doctors. We want you to have lawyers. We want you to have people who have money because if you can't have people that have money, you can't have money. And I was like, we provide life insurance. Yeah. Everybody needs that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody. And so I went after like the misfits that like nobody was talking to because I was like, do you know how you stay in a cycle of poverty? Mm-hmm. You only attach yourself to the wealthy and you do nothing to provide safeguards for people who don't have money. Yeah. Like an unexpected death in a family can just wipe everything out. And here was this group of all white men telling other groups of primarily white men how to continue to perpetuate that system and not expand it to other people. And I was just appalled. Yeah. I was like, I can't work for a company like this. I think that is a great segue into one of my favorite parts of the book that I that's called Getting Mad at Men. Mm-hmm. It's a part that I <laughs> excel in. It comes to me naturally. I remember, I think this was what, not last summer, but the summer before. Every time Mary and I would go out, you know, we would, you know, I hadn't met my fiance yet. So I was just perpetually angry at men. And you literally told me one time, you were just like, you're like, my motto right now, be meaner to men. And mm-hmm. I'll remember that forever because it just, it really stuck with me. I was like, yep, that's, that's Mary's, uh, Mary's words are always going to ring true in my mind. Be meaner to men. Because, well, okay. And New the, sticker. Because think about it, at least growing up in the Midwest in like a super conservative Catholic home, whatever. I was taught to be accommodating and nice at all times, mm-hmm. especially to men, to any authority figure, but especially men, right? And so my conditioning has been, you know, be accommodating, play the social role of whatever. And so, you know, in the past t- mm-hmm. 10, 5, 10 years, I've been like, okay, so whatever my reaction, my natural impulse is to do, don't do that. Do the meaner version mm-hmm. of that, which is still, mm-hmm. you know, instead of saying like, no, thank you. It's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, it's not even <laughs> I'm naturally such an accommodating person mm-hmm. who will like, you know, laugh at anyone's joke, make anyone feel included that mm-hmm. my be meaner isn't mm-hmm. even mean. It's hardly even right. neutral. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And I'm, I would like to be meaner always to men. Well, I think. Especially, <laughs> especially white men. Well, I think that that part is so like important in the book, though, because it, it's the next section, the not nice ladies section, but just piggybacking yeah. off of that. The, the yeah. getting mad mm-hmm. at men and holding them accountable. And I loved the sections in the book where it was talking about how like, like men started getting really uncomfortable when women started calling Mm -hmm. them out where they were just like, it's never been this way before. So why are you guys doing this now? Like you're making us really uncomfortable. And it's just like, no shit. (laughs) I I have, I have this part. I'm sure it's really scary. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) have, oh my God, I have an anecdote. We have to, okay. I have to find this for you guys and send it to you. It's so funny. So during the the current or the recent um, Supreme Court ruling on, you know, Roe versus Wade, there was mm-hmm. uh, like a protest happening. And this white 
Republican man was at one of these rallies yelling at the protesters and shit like that. And then this guy, this guy that was one of the protesters had a megaphone and he like runs up and he's just like, he's like, there's a straight white man being oppressed over here. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, he's like, everybody back off. You're making him uncomfortable. There's a straight white man being oppressed. And it was so, and like the cops came over and, and he was just like, he's like, oh, don't worry. His friends are here to make him feel comfortable. Don't worry. <gasps> it's so funny. I, I have to find it and send it to you guys. Cause that guy's my oh. hero. At first it was on TikTok and then it got taken down because apparently it was inappropriate, but I thought it was Honestly, the greatest thing ever. That, that's the stuff that like, as you're talking about that, that's the stuff that makes my hands get clammy. That makes me so mad is mm-hmm. like. The way that men feel about, it's not even anger. It's just normally just like any kind of, you probably shouldn't do that anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, I love when she talked about the language that they were using of like, he'd been beaten to a pulp and it's like, he was mm-hmm. fine. He was led alive. Led to the guillotine. Yeah. Yeah. Led Come to the guillotine. Oh, Woody Allen talking about a witch hunt. Yeah. I, okay. I loved that part when she was talking about Woody Allen saying like, well, you know, after Weinstein, we don't want Hollywood to turn into a witch hunt. And the whole thing with the witch hunt infers that women, mm-hmm. point A, women were being murdered for crimes they did not commit. Mm-hmm. What was that happening? That were not real. Was, they were right. even real crimes. Like, that was the part that I was like, good point. Right. Not but even these men were being held accountable for things they actually did. It's right. not mm-hmm. even applicable. They I, hadn't okay, been yeah. beaten. They hadn't been imprisoned. They hadn't had their comfy, cushy lifestyles taken away from them. Some of them were still making money. Some had planned comebacks. Like, the fact that uh, any of these men can get away with this in the first place is disgusting. The fact that they can get away with it, face public backlash, and come back and be like, but I'm better, and continue to be a person of power should never be allowed to happen. Ever. Ever. I know. I love that she talked about that, too, that she was saying that, you know, abusing people for years on end while still accruing Mm -hmm. income while the people that you were abusing dropped out of the field, whatever field it was. So it's like the women who were subjected to sexual harassment were leaving Mm -hmm. the field in Massé while the guys were still making money. And so they have the audacity to say, well, I can't work anymore. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're holding me accountable and I lost my job. It's like Ooh. tough fucking titty, bitch. Yeah. Tough time. Rough. Yeah. yeah. Like, Not feeling bad for you. Not feeling no. bad for you at all. I think that this being held accountable aspect, this discomfort that's being experienced, I don't know. Please, somebody save me. <laughs> I thought that it was interesting, too, that just go piggybacking off the, um, you don't want Hollywood to turn into a witch hunt because then all of a mm-hmm. sudden you're going to find more stuff. I thought it was mm-hmm. interesting, too. There was a line in the book. I can't find it, but, um, and maybe one of you guys will know exactly where it's at, where it was talking about, like, you don't want, to do this like you don't you guys Mm -hmm. don't really want to start diving into the abuses that men have been getting away with for years because all of a sudden you're going to figure out that it's your fathers and your brothers Mm -hmm. and and that's going to be really bad that's going to affect your relationships and it's just like good 
if mm-hmm. you are saying to me that we shouldn't be holding men accountable because all of a sudden we're going to figure out that our fathers and our uncles are rapists, we should probably mm-hmm. know that anyway. So it's yeah. like I thought that was such a funny argument for men to bring forward during these revolutionary movements where it's like, you guys stop looking into it. Cause you're not going to like the results. Cause it's going to be people you love. And it's mm-hmm. like, so you're admitting right there in that sentence that this is a problem, but you're telling us to be scared of the results because it's going to be men that we love. And yeah, it's like right. that it's pervasive right enough that it's everywhere. Yeah. That and I, is I enough. agree with that. It is everywhere. And I think that is something that is worth thinking about, but it's also a spectrum, right? Under patriarchy, under white supremacy, we have the Harvey Weinsteins, the Bill Cosbys, but we also have like the Aziz Ansaris, the people who, you know, make a late night DM or an inappropriate mm-hmm. comment. They're not the same. And they're not going to face the same kind of, I don't know what word I'm looking for, maybe justice, the same kind of, they're not going to be held accountable in the same way, right? And so mm-hmm. if someone came to me and was like, Mary, in the 80s, your dad made a comment to me that was really, and I'm sure, oh God, I'm sure he did. I love him, but I'm sure he said, he, I mean, you know, he's, he's a product of the Republican Party. I'm sure he said some problematic things. Mm-hmm. I want to hear that. And I want to know where my friends, where my family have faltered and hopefully have a conversation and turn it around. I hope, I hope that no family member of mine has ever committed a rape or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the more heinous, you know, acts. But Mm -hmm. even if they did, I would want to know. Right. And I think I would want to protect the community. So it's nuanced. It's like, just because we have people like Brock Turner doesn't mean that's what every man has done. It's just white men in particular are benefiting from patriarchy in a specific way that promotes them to behave in a certain way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and so it's not necessarily, I don't know, it's complicated, but it's worth talking about and it's not something to be afraid of. It's like, like Laurel said, it's something that you want to know about so you can deal with. Right. Mm-hmm. and understand mm-hmm. well it also just the way I read it was that it was like it was like an excuse for men to stop like or for women to like stop looking into it where it's just like why do you why do you think that that sentence is going to like like deter us from calling this out like mm-hmm. it, it, the fact that like we may love a man in our lives that has done wrong and you think that that is a good enough reason for us to to stop holding men accountable for Mm -hmm. for injustice against women like that that's even more of a reason for us to continue Mm -hmm. this fight if you ask me so it just it just seems like such a I don't know it just seems like such a backwards thing to say Mm -hmm. I also had highlighted at page 151 that I'd like to read because I think that it it just hit me the whole sentence It starts on 150 where it says activists of the 1960s and 1970s whose revolutionary movement lasted less than 20 years made many changes in a short amount of time, challenging their own circumstances and assumptions so swiftly and dramatically that they altered the power dynamics within their own marriages and made their husbands uncomfortable and confused, suddenly rebuked for behaviors and attitudes which had never before been presented as problematic and I thought that that I loved that 
I was like, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> like, call out that shit. Mm-hmm. But it's just, oh. it's so funny. Like, the made their husbands uncomfortable and confused. So it's like, mm-hmm. so you guys understand that your behavior has not been great. And now mm-hmm. you're being called out on it and you, and you feel sad because they're ganging up on you. Oh, these women are bullying you. Oh, my goodness. Right, which is, it shows how little they know about how it feels to be oppressed, yeah. right? They're like, this is oppression. And it's oh like, my God. bitch, you think that hurts? Honey, Yeah, you have no idea. It's like those men who, who use those, like, period cramp simulators. Oh my and God. they're like, you know, what the fuck is happening? And it's like, yeah, that's, that's what we deal with. Yep, yeah, all the time. Pretty, pretty much time. it. Yeah, I, I, it just reminds lives. me too of like in in our more recent past, you know, like the the anti maskers who are like, this is oppression, this is yeah. this is killing us, like, and it's just like if this is what you consider to be oppression, like, we are so behind as a collective society. I can't even I can't even begin <laughs> to to explain because it's like, mm-hmm. what do you think oppression is? Like mm-hmm. is, that's is, what they think it is. Is this really what you think oppression is? Putting a fucking piece of cloth over your mouth to make sure that your grandmother doesn't die? Like, yeah. holy shit. Literally. Literally. Like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, my my whole attitude on that was like, okay, I you know, they have the argument like they don't work. And it's just like, okay, wrong, number one. But also, like, even if it didn't work, what is so wrong with trying you know what I mean like like if you wear it and it saves somebody's life great if you wear it and it doesn't save somebody's life at least you tried you know what I mean it's just it's like what the fuck I know it is it is fucked and you know and you know the demographic of people I'm talking about that are the anti-maskers it's the exact same people we're talking about right now yeah yeah oh I'm oh I love that do you guys ever see that when you go to the grocery store like I see a lot of married, what I assume is married couples, mm-hmm. where like the wife is wearing an N95 and her husband's just not wearing a mask. Like, do you guys ever see that when you go out? I see it maybe because I've seen it a couple times that I'm like looking for it, but I swear I see that all the time where it's like a guy's, you know, toxic masculinity is like, I can't get COVID. I'm not going to wear a mask. Whoop, whoop. And his wife <laughs> is wearing a mask and it's like fucking stupid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dumb idiot. It's like you're. how stupid can you be (laughs) for andrew and i it's always a discussion when we decide to do things to me it just kind of shows like being out of sync with your partner which is maybe Mm. inaccurate but maybe it isn't i don't know i I think i think that's a safe assumption to make is is being out of sync and also like i it just makes me sad because it's like you know that in those relationships there's so much that you, I don't, you're not I don't know. But it's such a serious issue that it just sh- I think I'm pr- maybe projecting. I'm curious to see what you guys think, but I think it shows a lack of authority on the part of like the woman in the relationship because it's such a serious thing mm-hmm. that it's like if you're wearing a mask and your partner isn't, you're not clearly speaking on why it's important in your relationship. Does that make sense? Well, mm-hmm. I also think yeah. it even goes further than that because like to to a lot of people, I mean, at least to me and to 
and I don't know, maybe this is making it seem like like extreme, but the whole pandemic situation was kind of like a moral issue too, because for me, it was like, I don't morally feel right about going out and endangering people unnecessarily if I don't need to. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in a relationship in which, you know, the woman is, like you said, wearing that N95 mask and taking it very seriously and the, and the man is not, it, it's, it's very obvious that you guys have different belief systems as well, that, mm-hmm. you, yeah. that you don't share the compassion and, and morality for other people that you should if you are to be together. Um, mm. I don't know if maybe that's too extreme, but that's, that's yeah. kind of the way I see it. Even if it is, there, there's always a reality inside the extreme somewhere. So yeah. it's, it's oh. just one of those nuanced pieces of what we experience. I well, did like, want to say some. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just I teach young children as like my job. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And you know when the masking rules came, like they the schools got rid of masking rules. You know it. My job left it up to me. If you want to wear a mask while you're teaching, that's up to you. If you don't, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to enforce it anymore. But it was like to me, it was like a no brainer. It's like of course I'm still going to wear a mask around my kids. Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel right in my heart to know mm-hmm. that I could have possibly gotten a child sick, you mm-hmm. know, or, or one of the teachers even. It's not, it doesn't just, it's not exclusive to children, but it's like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel right ever if I had mm-hmm. endangered somebody, uh, like, unknowingly or knowingly. So it's like, I don't know, just, it was always, a, it was yeah. always an easy choice for me to make. Mm-hmm. And yes. so it just, it never... It never ceases to amaze me when people are shitty. <laughs> like, awesome. I think it just shows an entitlement. Going back, I'm looking at page 152. There's a quote where she says, Anytime that men's power is questioned or tempered or rebuked or challenged, it seems they are made to feel uncomfortable. It often feels that any form of male discomfort is untenable. Mm-hmm. So, oh my God, yes. And then they start talking about Larry Nazar. And how he was yeah. like in the courtroom. He's like, I don't want to see this. I don't want to hear this. It makes me mm-hmm. uncomfortable. It's going to make him pass out to hear about the shit that he did. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. are you kidding yeah. me? Or Kamala Harris with Jeff Sessions, him mm-hmm. saying that her like speaking to him straight was making him nervous. And then talking about the interview with Chuck Schumer when he was at the Women's March and he was asked, were you comfortable with everything that you heard? Mm-hmm. Like, there are I these ideas. I don't care about your comfort. Yeah. Right. But it's that thing of like, that's the most important thing to be thinking about right. is men's comfort level and mm-hmm. any amount of discomfort is too much. Right. Feminism has gone too far, you know. Well, that goes back to what you said a little bit ago, Mary, where it's like, you know, I was raised to to make sure that men were comfortable and that, you know, I never said anything out of line and I didn't do anything that wasn't ladylike. I'm, I'm doing air quotes there. Ladylike. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember yeah, hearing yeah. that as a kid all the time. That's not ladylike. Don't do that. And, right. and mm-hmm. it's like this just a perpetuation of that where these men who are being held accountable for their actions all of a the sudden they're like uncomfortable because mm-hmm. it's been ingrained in our society for so long that women shouldn't for one reason or another call that out and that's not going to happen anymore and yeah now men are are crying about it 
Yeah, in this section, uh, not nice ladies. I have the large print version, so my pages are all off from you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, she mentions uh, Abigail Adams' request of her husband to remember the ladies, which is one of the things that like we hear that she said frequently, but you very seldom go past that to where she also states, remember all men would be tyrants if they could. She knows this. She knows this. She's like, dear husband, please. Just, you know this is true too. And instead it was like, whatever. And then the next thing that she used as an example was the Declaration of Sentiments done in 1848. So let's see here. As far as like American history goes, 1776, we have a plea for remembering women in the Constitution that's being written that is completely ignored. And then in 1848, we write this Declaration of Sentiments. And my favorite, my favorite, and that I've seen over and over and over again, is at the very end of it where this declaration states, in regards to men and women and like the marriage relationship and really just in society in general, he has endeavored in every way that he could to destroy her confidence in her own powers to lessen her self-respect, and to make her willing to lead a dependent and abject life. And I mean, centuries, centuries of this being, like, built into our culture. Like, we've been talking about, like, things in the home, the divorce issue that you had brought up that had happened, where, like, women were like, I'm done with this. Mm -hmm. I know I've said this. My parents were born in the 40s. It was a very, very gendered household. I feel like they just pretended like that never happened. Mm. If, my, if my parents would have maybe paid attention to that, their marriage could have been very different or it could have ended. Who knows? Yeah. But I never really felt like my parents approached each other as equals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that just seems tragic. When the person mm-hmm. you've said, I will, I will spend my whole life with you, but you continuously always see them as beneath you. It's weird into your vows, you know? I yeah. mean, unless you write oh your gosh. own, which I encourage you to do. It's way more fun. Yeah. No, well, at my like wedding a, that- in October, I'm going to tell Kyle that I will remain submissive to him my entire... No, fuck that. Hell no. <laughs> Heck no. I, I shall happily lay myself down as a rug for you. No. I love when she says, the quote is, if our ladies will insist on voting and legislating, where will gentlemen find our dinner? Oh, my God. I know. <gasps> I, I underlined ah! that, too. <laughs> like, oh. But well, like, the fact that that happened, like, that's in that one section there. And I think that that was, like, a, an earlier reaction. And then another one happened later in, like, 2010s somewhere where a political figure was like, ladies, if you're all out there marching, who's making your husband's dinner? I, like, I think someone said that post the Women's March. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely likely a lot of people said that post the Women's March, <laughs> yeah. which is exactly yeah. like why women needed to be marching. I was thinking about that. There's a comedian, Ali Wong. I don't know if you guys know her, but she's Mm-mm. hilarious. She's really funny. She's known for doing stand-up while like eight months pregnant. So like she does stand-up comedy and has like a huge pregnant belly. And she talks a lot about like being a mom and being a comedian. And she's fucking brilliant. If you want to laugh, just type in Ellie Wong. But okay. anyways, 
at one of her more recent comedy specials, she's talking about, do you know how successful I would be if I had a wife? Like talking about women's work <laughs> and the stuff that women have to do, like cooking and cleaning and emotional labor on top of working, mm-hmm. being sexy, being mothering, like being all these different things. And she's mm-hmm. talking about like men are clearly benefiting from keeping mm-hmm. us in in this role and from they're benefiting from us having this idea of we have to do everything mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so and we need to be exemplary at it and if we are not we are not good enough like you right. can't just be like my favorite thing was the repeat use of the word mediocre whenever yeah. she would describe white men in particular in regards to our the the men who created the declaration of independence and constitution i want to stop saying founding fathers i think i really 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 hate that term our founding oppressors yeah exactly i love Um, that that might be slightly better like looking at it more objectively maybe i don't know i don't know Um, samantha b where she says two leering dildos that was my favorite i think about that so much it's so funny but that was that was something else ali wong talks about too is how little her husband has to do to be considered a good dad and how little she has to do to be considered a bad mom yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. him going to her doctor's appointment and they're like, oh, he's so involved. And she's like, you know who else is at that doctor's appointment? Me. Me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see that all the time where it's like, it's like, oh, and a, and a special thank you to my husband who watched the kids tonight while I went out for with my friends. And it's like, you mean mm-hmm. like being a, being a dad and like being a dad doing his job. Why are, why are you giving him a gold medal for spending time with his fucking children? Like, stop doing that. Have you heard men calling parenting babysitting? Like, well, I have to babysit tonight. It's not babysitting. No. It's parenting. Yeah. <laughs> You're being a dad. Good. Like, it, the bar is set oh. so, so, so low for men. Oh. Where it's like, he, he the bar is in hell. It's he, just. A man can literally just be a warm body in a room and be considered mm-hmm. a good father. And it's like. Yeah. <sighs> no. <sighs> It, Not good it, enough. It, it is Sigh astonishing. Yeah, I I highlighted a a line on one fifty two just because it like I don't, I don't know why it made me chuckle, but it's at the very top where it said, "If there's one thing feminists love, it's divorce." And I was like, "Ha ha ha ha!" <laughs> and it's ha, ha. and it's true, and it's true. <laughs> like it's the same idea as like pro-choice people love abortion. It's true. It's mm-hmm. this idea that I love anything that gives women the option to do what's best for right. them. Yes. I love it. Yes. I fucking love it. You I'm, know? I'm pro that. Yeah. yeah. It's not that I want people to get divorced, but I want people to have the right to be able to if they want to. Exactly. And, and if like, that means that you actually have to behave like a caring, supportive human being in the relationship to the person that you swear to love more than anyone in the whole wide world. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Too bad for yeah. you. Yeah. And I know marriage I, is hard. I know marriage is hard. I'm not going to like, Andrew and I will be married in the spring of 2023 for 10 years. So we've been together for close to 12. That is a long time <laughs> to be with one person, and it is mm-hmm. really hard. So I don't want to, like, diminish anybody who's, like, in a marriage and working on things being better. 
it's just yeah. really challenging. It's a challenging thing to go through. And if you are not with the right person, if at some point you realize like this is not what I signed on for and you guys mm. go through all the things and you can move in a way that allows people to have a better life, like it's an it's a new chapter, a new opportunity, like destruction leads to growth frequently. So Yes. It's all right to burn things to the ground every once in a while. I'm all right with yes. it anyway. <laughs> yes. Me too. Yes. Agree. I am unfortunately like a bridge torture. Like if I've decided I'm done with something, I am fucking done with it. I will <laughs> never talk to you again. <laughs> like I will I will think about you and do my very best. And I mean this is this is like for almost I a terrible human being. Um although, not at all. Again, that idea, like, being assertive, does that make me a terrible human being? If I know my emotional thresholds and I'm like, I am done with this. Well, usually you have to do that with people who don't respect boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. So if, like, you are a very, like, caring, empathetic person, but you're, you're yourself is not a unlimited resource right yeah. it's not like a well of forever so if you're at least you know dealing with someone who's sucking all the life out of you mm -hmm. sometimes you have to just be like and eh, no never again absolutely not you can't even come back and try because fuck you yeah. mm -hmm. done 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 well thank you Ask i any, appreciate yeah. your perspective always i have a question that i want to ask you too yeah I want to know if you feel as though older feminists, women, have failed your generation. I loved how she pointed out the fact that young female activists now aren't just staring at the men who have oppressed them. They are also asking the women who participated in that oppression to hold themselves accountable for it mm -hmm. as well, which is fair. And yeah. was our complacency, and I include myself in this because I am like pretty much well, almost old enough to be either one of your parents, maybe. So I consider myself part of that generation that was like really lulled into thinking that things had changed, things were better. Like while we were asleep, a bunch of really bad shit was happening and now we are facing this huge crisis in my mm. opinion the reversal of roe v wade the possibilities that are moving forward because of it like i understand that there are opportunities here to make things better but mm. will they now that things have been weakened to the point that they have been like i think about how trump as president was awful and one of the worst things that he did was put a bunch of judges in place. He put a shit ton of judges in place. How is that going to affect people of color, women, mm. people who don't have access to money, resources, jobs? The repercussions from what has happened are extensive. And I'm just curious, like, do you feel like we failed? Because I feel mm. like I failed. I feel like I should have mm. been paying attention. And I wasn't. No, I don't, I don't see it as a failure. I think obviously you can 
you can always look back in retrospect and mm-hmm. be like, I could have done more. I wish I would have done more. And I mm-hmm. feel that too. I feel that mm-hmm. a lot. But I don't see it as a failure. I think we are making progress. Like, you know, this whole book is talking about, well, par- part of the anger is backlash, right? It's like right. we make one step forward, two steps back, one step forward. Like, you know, mm-hmm. at least that's how it feels and that's mm-hmm. how it plays out a lot. I don't see it as a failure, but I think I don't think that we're going to reap the benefits of our work in our lifetime. Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. I think I think that the work that our generation does will be for the next one. I think it's going to be very much an uphill battle. Not to say that we won't see progress in our lifetime, but the Republicans have been playing dirty for a long time, and they've really dug in their claws. Like, you know, when you talk about the Supreme Court, these people are going to have to die for us to start fixing some of the, I mean, sorry, or it's getting dark, but like, no, no, I mean, that's valid. I think, I think that our country is really young and it shows that we kind of, as a country have had this, like, well, we're America. It's going to get better and just keep getting better. Like you've said with the historian's perspective, mm-hmm. if you look at like authoritarian regimes, it's like Trump has had all of those kinds of characteristics and we need to play hardball mm-hmm. more like the Republicans do of like, okay. Yes. And I think that's where we're going. I think that's where feminism and our activism is headed of like, okay, we got to be in this for the long haul. Mm-hmm. We have to be willing to, you know, when they go low, we go high. We need to go lower. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we need to be in the subfloor, just like making laws and putting people into positions of power to undermine some of this shit yeah that's i i guess that's how i feel is that it the painful reality or the painful perspective that i face is that the work that i do probably won't be seen until Mm -hmm. i'm gone Mm -hmm. but i think i have hope for the future Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that i'm not gonna fight huzzah but but I mean, I mean, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that a lot when Rebecca Traster was talking about, you know, Andrea Dworkin not yeah. being here to see the Me Too movement, like her fucking mm-hmm. work that she put in mm-hmm. for years of just like, you know, being like, listen up, fuckers, you're not going to treat us like shit anymore. She didn't get to see that payoff, but her work laid the groundwork for so many people, mm-hmm. so many people. So, and not to say that that, that I, don't, I don't want you guys to think that I'm saying like that's me. Like I'm not trying to mm-hmm. equate myself to Andrea Dworkin, but I think that you have to have that kind of perspective of the shit that I do is going to ripple yeah. into the future. I do feel that way. Yeah. I do. I feel, and I feel that there's, the book touches on that too about how anger has led to action and connection and the creation of networks and I feel like allowing places and voices to be heard Mm. even if it starts small has the possibility Mm. of becoming something much larger like you said rippling into other areas and just just the fact that the voices are there 
that they can be there is something that should continue to be fought for because there are so many of our rights that I am very, very concerned about. And Mm. freedom of speech is one that you start censoring those things, you start removing those things, and we will be in a world of hurt. And there's already Mm. been a lot of discrediting done of our media outlets and part of it has to do with these numerous sexual allegations that have come out against the people who have been telling us our mm-hmm. news stories and how to look at the world mm-hmm. around us like what is the world around us anymore well we we very uh... recently had a sitting president who had sexual allegations brought against him and absolutely nothing was done about it and he still has a cult following I mean, oh... and so i, I... <laughs> When it comes to yeah. that, I don't really have much. <laughs> After Mary gave that very inspiring, I have hope. And I'm over here like, nah. <laughs> I admire you <laughs> so much. <laughs> and I'm like, we are oh, living in a hellscape I, well, and <laughs> everything's going to burn. I know. I know. It might she have talks about to. that though in the book if like. I, right. I don't think that things burning is completely bad. We right. got we to gotta right. burn this shit down and start it over. When you're angry, it shows hope because right. you want things to be different. And mm-hmm. inside that want is a reality right. that you think it can be different. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a big proponent for imagination mm-hmm. and fantasies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. rich inner worlds that allow us to imagine the ways that things can be. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. Oh, I love that. Big, I'm with big you. proponent for, for daydreaming and imagining. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love that too. Yes. And I think that's why yeah. rest is so important. Okay. Also, I wanted to circle back to something Laurel just said about mm-hmm. a sitting president having a sexual misconduct uh, allegations against him and still having power. Mm-hmm. It's not just Trump. Uh, yeah. Like we have oh, yeah. Clinton for one. We have... On both sides, we have mass abuses of power. Yeah. Abuses? Mm-hmm. Abuses? I, I, I think uh, wh- whichever way, it's yep. multiple forms of abusing individuals. Yeah. But I love, love, loved her talking about that in this book of like it being an uphill battle and the Republicans having control for so long mm-hmm. that when Democrats like Al Franken mm-hmm. was... Al Franken, yes, mm-hmm. was accused of sexual misconduct. There was this like push and pull of, do we ask him to step down? But he's one of the good Democrats that's mm-hmm. been in you know bed with, you know, all these people for so long. What do we do without him? And it it was that kind of moment of, are we going to stand? Are we going to put right. our money where our mouth is in the Me Too movement and take down people on both sides who have allegations of sexual misconduct against them how serious are we going to take this you know and i think that's really important too to acknowledge it's not just republicans there might be higher rates on a certain side Mm -hmm. but it happens everywhere oh yeah absolutely a a line underlined during that discussion of al franken where it was we can't be the party that says we stand up for women only when it's politically convenient so kind of Mm -hmm. yeah kind of going off what you're saying there like the the women who were involved in in politics at this time, you know, fearing Mm -hmm. for the fact that like, yeah, this man has actually done a lot to help us, but 
are, are we going, like Mary said, to put our money where our mouth is? Like, we can't just let it slide mm -hmm. because it helps us and it helps our agenda because then we're going back on mm -hmm. what we're what we're working for here. And it they mm -hmm. they did in the in the end ask him to to resign, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I read that? Yeah. Can I read that paragraph? It's um right before yeah. the section cate category error, but I have this whole thing underlined and like circled because I loved it. But it says most women I knew did not want the opportunity to patrol the borders of patriarchal overreach. We felt torn about both the vague prospect and the observed reality of these men losing their jobs. We thought of their feelings and their families, fretted that the disclosure of their misdeeds might cost them future employment or even provoke them to harm themselves. But this was something else we were being compelled to notice, the ways in which we were still conditioned to worry for the men, but somehow not afford the same compassion for women, their families, and their feelings, their future prospects, even in reckoning that was supposed to be about mm -hmm. us, not them. As a survivor of sexual violence myself, I just like had to take a beat that moment for the years that I spent like thinking about the fact that my abuser had also been sexually mm -hmm. abused as a child mm -hmm. and the ways that I didn't want to speak on what he did to me because I knew about his own personal experience and I didn't mm -hmm. want to do further damage. But it, it completely loses the fact that he hurt me mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Like, as women, we are taught to completely lose ourselves and lose our experiences to protect men. Mm -hmm. And it's bullshit, and I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a, a part that I, I really like how it was left to women to, like you're saying, make men feel better about their their trespasses mm -hmm. where it's like I have been hurt by a man but it's been left onto my shoulders to make him feel okay about it yes and so I'm gonna read this little section one of the revelations of the me too movement and the anger that it provoked in me and my friends was the degree to which powerful men may have been behaving horribly for their entire careers while it was women's reactions to that behavior that were regularly judged. Women were the cops and the ones who held responsible for patrolling and controlling and adequately punishing and generously forgiving men's trespasses. And so kind of like what you're saying, Mary, like women were the ones being hurt by mm -hmm. this, but they were having this pressure put on them to be the ones to process process the abuse, mm -hmm. get over the abuse, and then forgive the mm -hmm. abuse. This entire system and, and all of those, those tears and, and all of those layers to abuse mm -hmm. were, were put on the women's shoulders. For everything from experiencing it to dealing with it to forgiving mm -hmm. it. And none of, none of those things were ever put on mm -hmm. the men. It was always the woman's job to, to process it and then have a wonderful change yeah, of heart and, and then like, just you know what? smile and move him. on i forgive him yeah mm -hmm. what bullshit like are you kidding me How i think i think one of my favorite moments in the book is where 
she's discussing the Anita Hill testimony for the Clarence Thomas uh, confirmation hearings. And I just, I just watched mm-hmm. the documentary on uh, Prime about Anita Hill and what she went through to do this. And again, this is another area where I like know so little. So learning this was really fascinating. But there were a group mm-hmm. of female representatives that demanded that Hill be heard. And of course, like the people, like the men were like, oh no, they're out of control. And her response mm-hmm. to this is so good. Yes, things were out of control. That was the mm-hmm. point because control was when no one was able to report the story of Harvey Weinstein raping women. Control was Donald Trump getting elected president thanks to voter suppression and the electoral college system designed to suppress and thus better control non-white populations. And it goes on because it can. But seriously, reading over Mm -hmm. that and all of the places where she put that word, I was like, my heart still feels tight around how that feels like to to have this realization of how suppressed and controlled emotions have been of other individuals by actions of a minority like that's another big point that she makes throughout this is that those in charge are the minority that's one of the things that pissed women off to run for Mm -hmm. office in 2018 was that Like, why are there so many millionaires in Congress? I can't get a job that pays me a living wage. I have to take care of childcare. I have to do all the things. And you get to sit on your ass and keep putting things in place that oppress me? Like, what? No, I'm sorry. Done with that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Done with that. Nope. And how, like, the the whole end of the book, I felt, was a really... Like it was a it was a touch and go of reminder of hope, but stay mad. Do you know what I mean? Like there were like there are these organizations yeah. that have come about. These numbers have increased. And I don't want to take away from that hopeful look at what we've built mm-hmm. since our outrage in 2016. But this is six years later, and this is four years yeah. roughly after this Mm. book was published we went through the 2020 election now yeah and now we're facing another midterm with some really scary stuff Mm -hmm. on the line and i'm wondering how how do we feel about this midterm how do we feel since rebecca traster's book are we in a moment where it feels like we've kind of been lulled into quietness again under biden and kamala harris and the pandemic still wreaking havoc with everyone's life mass shootings uh things that are considered law being taken Mm. away from us like i feel as though there is just a shitstorm everywhere we turn is that detracting or maybe adding to the need for people to come together and work to make legislative change community connections overthrowing of patriarchal power that was my full question i'm sorry <laughs> no yeah laurel do you want to go do you mind if you, i go no you go for it 
Okay. Let it so loose, Mary. I'm <laughs> I'm very much in the camp of like no one's going to save us. I think that's just I I look at what's happening with with our government, with abortion mm-hmm. access, with gun control, like no mm-hmm. one is coming to save us. So as much as she in this book is talking about politics, my takeaway from this book was like I could never mm-hmm. run for politics cuz it's like it's a very – you have to be even-keeled. It's a slow burn. I am too, like – like, I got to I gotta see it. I got to feel it. I got to be able to – I have, like, little bursts of energy, mm-hmm. and I have to let them explode. Like, I'm not, I'm not the even-keeled line. That's not how mm-hmm. I operate. Operating inside the system isn't how mm-hmm. I'm going to work this. I need time and space to fight back in a way that makes Mm -hmm. sense to me. She talks about it in the book about how suburban white women coming into the movement are like, do we need a Mm -hmm. permit? Mm -hmm. How are we going to, how are we going to have this protest? How are we going to do this? Like I, I can't Mm -hmm. operate that way. I have to operate in a way that is maybe a little woo woo, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit out there, but is working outside of Mm -hmm. the system. And I think that's where our power is going to come from. And I think that's a big part of who Gen Z is. Like, they're ready to burn shit down. So I think that's going to be – I have mm-hmm. a lot of hope looking at mm-hmm. the next generation. We're mad. They're mm-hmm. pissed. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. They're fucking pissed. The planet's on fire. And the world that we've left them is so shitty. I have a lot of hope. I don't necessarily know how we're going to mm-hmm. turn this shit around. But I'm ready to participate and ready to help and listen and do what I can. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Does that, yes. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no um, right or wrong question. I just yeah. kind of want to know how you, how you both feel about it. I think yeah. that especially, especially recently with everything, I feel like every time I go to read the news, there's just another another thing that's happening in the world that makes me feel defeated Mm -hmm. and heavy and I feel like that is being felt uh, you know throughout the community Mm -hmm. I feel like there's two sides to it I feel like people are feeling really defeated and they're kind of in that position of like what can I do Mm -hmm. like this Mm -hmm. stuff is happening around me I don't know what I can do I don't know how to affect change in in a real way um, so I feel like people might seem like they're being complacent, but it's just from a place of like complete despair where it's just they're they're heavy, they're tired, mm-hmm. they're there's just so much that's happening that it just it's just like how can how can we as a community continue to to bear this? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like mm-hmm. that's one side of it. But then I mean I'm on the side of I see these things happening and although it makes me heavy, it makes me angry Mm -hmm. and that anger, like Mary mentioned earlier, when you're angry, you're at least against Mm -hmm. it. Like you at least know that you're willing to fight when you're angry. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if I was reading these things and I was like, "Eh, I just don't really care anymore. That would be the point at which that, that I think people would stop wanting to affect change Mm -hmm. is when they're just like, eh, whatever. So as long as people are reading these things and and they're, you know, experiencing these, 
these events and they're angry mm-hmm. and they're willing to discuss it and talk about mm-hmm. it, then we have hope. Yeah. As soon as people stop talking and as soon as they're like, well, I don't know what we can do, you know, and just mm-hmm. become complacent, then then I think that's when we need to worry. Mm-hmm. But I think that like what Mary said is is the next generation of people as angry as we are here, the people that are younger than us are inheriting even more of a shit storm than we have. I think that we have hope still to, yeah, you know, always. as as pessimistic as I have become recently in the world, I don't want to say that it has defeated me because it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Like, I will, I'll show up to the front line in, you know, when, when it occurs, when it, when it happens, <laughs> because it will. And so... And I think there's there's a line in here that I really loved, and it's, it's page 209, and it says, Women's anger spurs creativity and drives innovation in politics and social change, and it always has, and it always will. And I grew up with this negative connotation attached to the word anger. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that this book has redefined that for me because anger should not be looked at as this dangerous tool. Mm -hmm. Anger is an incredible tool. Mm -hmm. It is an incredible emotion that drives us to to push and demand change. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that definition of like angry women Mm -hmm being coined as a negative thing was definitely done on purpose by, you know, the white patriarchy mm-hmm. so that it diminishes us. And I love the way that this book is redefining that as one of our greatest powers, mm-hmm. that anger is something that women have that is powerful mm-hmm. and it is effective. Mm-hmm. And I love yeah. that instead of, so it's like yeah. we need to be owning our anger and our drive and don't let anybody tell us that it's something that is bad or negative. It is an amazing tool that women have. Agreed. Beautiful. I completely agree. Don't ever, don't ever discredit your anger, ladies. <laughs> yeah. That's valuable. Yes. One of, one of the things I took a picture of to send to you ladies both was... There's a section in the book that's titled Backlash. And mm. at one point, Rebecca Traster says that she receives a text message from her, from like a, a friend of hers after the 2018 midterm elections where we had like just historic numbers of women representatives, women running for office, people of color representation. Like it was just, it was historic. And the question that Tracer was asked was, what if we are backlash? Mm-hmm. And that's, for me, that's my big takeaway from this. Instead of waiting for blowback, I just want to continue to be part of the righteous, necessary backlash to the inhumane ways we have treated people. Mm-hmm. And it's not... It's not just solely gender. It's the system that's been built around it. The social constructs that we just automatically accept that need to be changed. And it really, it's so simple. Treat other people like they have feelings 
Like they are human beings. Yes. Yes. Such a radical thought, Mary. That's yeah, my favorite is when you're like, I'm oh. so radical. I just want to be treated like a human being. <laughs> oh, right? It's too much to ask. Radical thought I think for the too, day. Don't sexually also, harass people. I know. It's a toughie. Toughie. <laughs> Keep uh, your hands to your fucking self. Three-year-olds learn that in fucking preschool. Personal space, my friends. I think, Same. too, if, if anyone else needs a piece of hope as well, I think what we're seeing now, so, right, this book came out in 2018. Since mm-hmm. then, we've just seen more rights be stripped away. I, the way I look at it, right, is since Roe v. Wade happened um, and there, there's been a swing, right, towards conservatism, and mm-hmm. I think what we've seen recently is the last tail of that swing. If we see it as a pendulum, I think that was the last little bit. And I think what we're going to see in the next 50, 100 years is a swing mm-hmm. back. So mm-hmm. I think it's not something to look at and be disheartened. I think that was, this is all, this is all fingo, fingers crossed, mm-hmm. you know, me being hopeful. But I think it's the, the dying gasp. Yes. Right? I was literally I think just what, thinking that in my brain. I was like, this is their dying breath. This is that yeah. final, we're going to try our our very best to inflict this mm-hmm. before yeah. we disappear. And yeah. it doesn't mean to become complacent. I think it's a lot of hard work that's going to go into this. Oh like my a God. Yes. A mm-hmm. lot of work, but you know, people like us who maybe weren't as politically involved before the Trump election are awake mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. aware of what's going on and ready to start fighting now. And it's happening across our country right. too. Mm-hmm. So it's not just us and we just need to continue to show up and that's what we're doing. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that kind of like keeps sticking in my head is this concern that there are going to be these dire repercussions for these people who have like taken advantage of the system and the thing is there are so many massive fires that are going to have to be put out when this power shift happens that yes there will be repercussions will it will it unfortunately be the top issue probably not mm-hmm. like there are so many other and i shouldn't maybe i shouldn't say that maybe that's just super pessimistic that we'll continue mm. to put like our thought of humanity as secondary as though it doesn't lead to the well-being of everything else. Yeah, I think it's all interwoven. I think that's fair to say. And I also think that when you start to fix one part, it's contributing to the whole. So like if you're someone who works, you know, in environmental issues, I think that's contributing positively towards, you know, anti-racist work and, mm-hmm. you know, women's rights and queer issues like Mm -hmm. I don't think just because your speciality is you know one specific thing it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that it's not contributing positively to the movement it's just keeping Mm -hmm. everything in mind Mm -hmm. and understanding there's a lot of working parts yeah I love that love that is there anything we want to touch on any last thoughts before we we announce our book for next week no, I think I'm good. Okay, yeah. next week's book is City of Darkness, City of Light. I don't have it in front of me, which is ridiculous, but that's okay. The author is Marge 
Piercy. It's P-I-E-R-C-Y. And I'll make sure that's in our show notes too. Um, along with a link to like thrift books or something in case you want to buy a used copy, which is what I did. And I think it was like five or six dollars. It wasn't terribly expensive, which was nice. Um, yeah. But this is like, like I said, it's a historical fiction regarding the French Revolution from three different women's perspectives. And these are women who actually existed in history. They actually lived mm-hmm. and their their lives have been kind of brought to light in a way that I am really excited to read because for anybody who just is not aware of the utter bloodbath and chaos and the contribution that women made to it that is the core of the French Revolution is just missing out and I'm I have so much stupid research on this. I was at Hyde Brothers and found the translated works of Germaine de Stahl, which is one that I've been like I've had it in my cart like four different times, but the price kept me away from it. And it was like $8. And I was like, thank you, Hyde Brothers. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. Uh, I was so excited. This is just such a brilliant period and so contradictory. It's the best and the worst of humanity. It's insane. I love it. Yeah, I can't wait to fun. read. Yeah. I'm ah, excited. So excited. Everybody, thank you for joining us. We love it. We're going to keep making episodes. I know this is our next one coming up. And I think after that, we are potentially looking at uh, the autobiography for Flo Kennedy. Is that? Yeah. That might be on our list. So we have a little bit of time. The next book is a little bit longer. So we're probably going to have to break it up into at least three pieces. But yeah, we'll keep it posted. We're still figuring it out as we go. So. And really, it's so often like the mood just kind of takes us and we're like, let's read this book. Like, yeah. I'm mad about this thing. Let's read this. And I love that there's so much out there that we can like grab like that and talk about. And thank you for always making time for this. I love you both so, so, so much. Of course. So I much. love you too. This is such a joy. Yes. Love. No, I-